What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Hey, welcome to part two of our college baseball podcast for the day. It's uh, May 30th. Big day in college baseball. It's always a big day on Memorial Day. Uh, for me, it's always about college baseball. Uh, it's drilled into my head for the last 20 years, and it was a big college baseball day, guys. Obviously, the field of 64, uh, but Jim Schoenert, Ted Cahill, Mike Lanana. We also had two major coaching changes. We'll touch on those at the beginning before we look ahead to the regionals. Um, but Teddy, you were in SEC country last week, and I mean, uh, at the tournament, you heard all kinds of rumors about SEC coaches that could go to Texas if Augie Garrido left. Augie Garrido steps aside, and uh, a little bit surprising, I guess, that was released right during the TV show. That probably could have been handled more deftly by Texas. It does seem like a very Texas thing to do. Um, I'll, I'll just start off by saying Augie Garrido, best career of any college baseball coach ever outside of, Augie, of uh, Rod Dato. I mean, Dato has 10 championships, but Augie won championships, I think, in four different decades. Well, 79, 80s, 90s. 2000s, so four different decades, and went to Omaha recently, what, two years ago, 2014? Yes. CJ and Company. So still vital uh, up until the end, although Texas's program certainly declined, no regional hosting since 2011. But it's an attractive job. It's going to get an elite name, you would imagine. The names that are thrown around at it with this job are guys like Kevin O'Sullivan at Florida, uh, every coaching opening that's at a big school gets Tim Corbin's name thrown around with it. Dan McDonald's name at Louisville gets thrown around with it. How attractive in your mind is this job? Because it seems like the job now is very different from it was when Augie got the job 20 years ago. I mean, that's got to be job number one in college baseball, right? I mean, the, the only way it's not number one, I would think, is if you just don't want to deal with the Longhorn Network. And Augie had his cooking show on there, yeah. which I know, John, uh, John, you love to watch. I guess I should call it more of a restaurant show than a cooking show, but it was food-oriented, and I do <laughs> like watching it. I, I, Augie's got good taste in brisket. Um, but in terms of, I mean, just you're in Texas, so that's obviously a, a talent-rich um, baseball state. You are the biggest school in Texas. Uh, I believe that's actually like 
in, in terms of students. Um, you are the flagship. Uh, sorry, A&M fans. I, I know you're going to get mad about that. But I mean, when you think about, I think when outsiders, I'm, I'm a Texas outsider. It's, Texas looks to me like the flagship. Yeah. Uh, that is not a slight on A&M at all. They are just fine. It's a great job. I don't want the Aggies fans to get mad at me here. They just don't have Texas history. Right. But, I mean, but A&M is a great job, yeah. and they certainly have changed the calculus in Texas and made Augie's job a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, and made the Texas job a lot harder than it used to be. But, I mean, Texas is the one of the most profitable athletic departments in the country, and therefore you will be paid as such. Uh, the fan support is great. The facilities are great. Everything about Texas screams big time job and they will get a big time coach like you said um i mean i you can just name whoever you think the five or six best coaches in america are and start with that as your shortlist and obviously not all of them are attainable or anything but right. uh, i mean you can your texas I, I think it's fair to to start like that um and we'll see where they go i mean the fact that they did it now um means that they're probably going to be waiting for a little while because when you big game hunt you know, I mean, those guys are all busy for exactly. the most part. Um, so the the job will probably be open for a little bit. Um, I would imagine that Texas has an idea of what it is doing. Um, they've known for a while that Texas or the the season would finish under 500. Right. Um, a lot of people thought Augie went into this year on the hot seat that he had only saved his job last year because they won the Big 12 tournament to get back to regionals. Um, so Texas has had some time to think about this. And, uh, you know, I, I would, you don't, this kind of change does not happen, or at least it doesn't happen in a functional athletic department if you haven't given some thought about who you want to replace him. That's well, very well said. The other name I meant to throw in there, because I like to throw names around, is uh, Pat Murphy. I do think that Pat Murphy would be, would make sense um, at, at Texas. He had a great track record at Arizona State. It didn't end well. Uh, with the NCAA investigation, he had a show cause penalty. Um, I always thought that that was, I wouldn't say trumped up, but overinflated. And eventually the way that was litigated, I think that the facts wound up agreeing with me and with Pat Murphy uh, over an athletic director who he didn't respect, basically because she was a woman, which is a problem, a significant problem. And in my mind, the number one problem for Murph. But uh, the, the violations that happened at Arizona State, were pretty insignificant, shouldn't have gotten him fired. Um, I, I don't know if those kind of things stand in his way of getting a job at Texas, um, but the fact that he hasn't coached college baseball since 2009, to me, is a bigger obstacle. He has managed in the major leagues. Um, uh, but, but if you're looking for a coach who's available right now, he's the bench coach in Milwaukee. Um, he's available, and he would hit the ground running, and he would shake things up. That's just my, I don't know if that's a realistic name at Texas, I would look into it because I think Pat Murphy's a hell of a college baseball coach. But uh, the Alabama job, it sounds like also attractive, Teddy. Uh, difficult job because of the basically the, the lottery situation in the Southeastern Conference. You would characterize Alabama from a scholarship point of view as a small revenue program because they don't have, they can't stretch their scholarship dollars like, say, Vanderbilt can with the academic uh, scholarship money. Or that a lot of the lottery schools, uh, Florida, Georgia, can. But Alabama has, there is talent in that state. Obviously a national brand name with the football program. And the brand new and really one of the showplace ballparks and facilities in all of college baseball. It's an attractive job, is it not? 
Yeah, I mean, it's an SEC job, so all 14 of those jobs are attractive. I don't know that I would put Alabama in the top half of the SEC, uh, but really all that means is it's not a top 20 job nationally. <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah. The, it's still it's still a very good job for all of the reasons you stated. I mean, that new ballpark, everyone says, is fantastic. And, uh, you know, again, it's an SEC job. There are only 14 of those, and um, they're all they're all pretty good. So Alabama should be able to do pretty well for itself here, you would think. Um, Mitch uh, resigned, and he uh, wrote a letter um, that Alabama released to its fans. And, I mean, it really does – this does not seem like a situation where he was forced out at all. It seems like this was his decision to step aside that, um, you know, he for – for his reasons, he was just ready to, to not be the head coach at Alabama anymore after after seven years. Uh, I mean, it's a hard job. and uh, It is a hard job. Coaching college baseball harder than it ever was before. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, Alabama has a few mid-majors within its own. You know, they can look within themselves, within the state, uh, and find some good coaches there. Uh, Mark Calvi at South Alabama has done a good job and has SEC experience, you know, coming from uh, from South Carolina. Merville Melendez has re- uh, completely turned around Alabama State, has right. them in a regional for the first time ever uh, this year, and, and he'd be uh, a very interesting candidate. Um, I would imagine there will be uh, many others that, that get looked at there, um, but, you know, it, it they don't have to look far if they don't want to, um, but, again, they could because uh, it, it – it's an SEC job, and there, are, um, you know, there are there are a lot of attractive things about that job in Tuscaloosa. I've always thought that uh, with the bold move for an SEC school down there, or that kind of school that's looking to to win, would be Jeff Johnson at Chipola. He's got big league alumni. He's got a long track record of winning at Chipola. He knows that area. I'm not sure a Division One school, especially one in the SEC, is going to be bold enough to hire a junior college coach to be a Division One head coach. But it happened awfully successfully for Rice, which is a very high academic institution that hired a JUCO coach in Wayne Graham, won a national championship. They've won a lot of games, put their baseball program on the map. Um, so there's precedent for it, but no one else has really followed the Wayne Graham precedent. So, well, I mean, it used to, to be way more Jeff. common. And, uh, you know, now, you know, Augie obviously right. started as a, a right. JC coach, although when he got to Fullerton, they were not Division One, But, you know, now uh, those days are – those days are very different than today's days. Definitely. Oh, no doubt. And, I mean, uh, the fact that no one's done it since all, I mean, like, I always thought Scott Pickler from Cyprus would have made sense at a Pac-12 school. Or uh, I forgot, I'm blanking on the guy's name who's a uh, Coach Rogers at Riverside Community College in California. I always thought those guys would have been money Division One baseball coaches. Just just never happened. But uh, those two jobs, I think, are very, uh, very interesting, very attractive. We've mentioned Kevin O'Sullivan. His job gets mentioned. His name gets mentioned whenever there's a big name job. Florida's a big name, but uh, he's got the re- he's the guy who's really made Florida a big name in college baseball. It was a good program before, had its moments, um, but he's made them a consistent Omaha team. They went to Omaha last year. Priest is the number one. Louisville, our Priest is the number two. Dan McDonald has made Louisville into a national power. Two trips to Omaha in the last three years. Three trips for him and his. A decade now. This is his tenth year there. Uh, Jim, Mike, I put Teddy on, on the spot a lot, but I'm going to give Teddy and you guys a pat on the back that our preseason one and two were Florida and Louisville, and uh, Mike, that's where, we, that's where we wound up with those of the number one and two national seeds. Yeah, well, I mean, we were believers in their talent from from the get go. It was pretty clear when you looked at what both teams were returning from last year and looked at what they had coming in. 
um, especially Florida with some some big name pitching recruits. Uh, it was pretty clear clear that both of those teams are the top two talented teams in the country, and I think you know there's kind of an argument throughout this year, especially the last few weeks of the season, which which team do you like better? Which team do you think is the more talented team in the country? And I know John, you and I have discussed Louisville might be that team. I know. You know, Teddy might be on a different side of that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm starting to waver on that. That's where I was headed, actually, yeah. with my next question. I was, yeah. I, I was all in on Louisville last week, and between those two teams, Florida had a much better week. Four and two right. week, I believe, in the Southeastern Conference. Louisville one and two, Well, Teddy. Uh, one thing about that is that Louisville has not won a conference tournament since 2009 when they were in the Big East. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, so weird. I think that tells you what Dan McDonald thinks of conference tournaments. I don't want to speak for Dan. He's like the Roy Williams of college baseball is what you're saying. Old <laughs> <laughs> Roy doesn't take the uh, ACC yeah. tournament very seriously, supposedly, is one of the storylines. But, Mike, uh, Wolverine didn't look sharp this week. I mean, that's fair to say, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair to say. It was bizarre to see Drew Harrington, you know, the, the ACC Pitcher of the Year, somewhat surprising ACC Pitcher of the Year. Very surprising. Um, it, it was even more surprising to see Virginia, you know, tag him for it was a seven-run inning, uh, six straight hits to start that inning. I'm not sure what was going on, but that was a little bizarre to see. And, yet, yeah, you know, they weren't – Brennan McKay wasn't quite as sharp against Clemson. Obviously, Clemson went on to win – the, the ACC baseball championship, but he helped with only a few hits, but there were four home runs. Yeah, you know, he allowed some. When he made mistakes, some left, made left on left too. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a little. He, he just wasn't sharp. It didn't seem like he had a great feel for his breaking ball in that game. It was kind of you know trying to find the corners and, and missing. So yeah, I think it was just one of those weeks for Louisville. Obviously, you hope if you're a Louisville fan, fan if you're Dan McDonald, you kind of get that out of your system a little bit. Right, and heading now, you know, into a regional. Um, host there of you know obviously the number two national seed and I'm sure they're going to go in with a, a chip on their shoulder too after what happened last year against Cal State Fullerton in the Super Regional. One would think so those are two interesting regionals uh, Jimmer we'll just touch on those one thing for Florida first you have Georgia Tech is your two UConn three Bethune Cook in the four um, real interesting to see how you handle AJ Puck because you mm-hmm. don't want to save Puck for game two because if that's Georgia Tech they don't have any left-handed hitters why would you throw Puck your lefty uh, instead of Fado or Shore, especially Fado with the slider that he's got, uh, would be a very difficult matchup for Georgia Tech. Whereas UConn, you assume UConn will try to hold Anthony Kay for the second game, number one, because he's probably his arm is probably dangling because he was used very heavily in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. Mm-hmm. Georgia Tech is pretty much a two-pitcher pony with closer Matt Gorst and starter Brandon Gold. That feels like a very winnable regional, uh, one that... Where the Gators shouldn't be terribly taxed, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I think that of all of them, I mean, Florida was going to be a certainly a heavy favorite no matter who was there, but that feels like, uh, I mean, it would be interesting you know, if, Georgia, if either Georgia Tech or uh, UConn hold, uh, decide to hold back either Anthony Kay or, well, uh, yeah, say yeah, K- K- yeah, or K- Gold, if yeah. either of them decides to hold those guys back, I think that's really the only way, either chance either of those teams have is to. Uh, do some damage, you know, to at least give the Gators a run. Um, I think they both. I think that you have to hold. If you, for me, yeah. through those teams, you have to hold the ace back, especially UConn, the way yeah. they used them. And then you're, but you're, you're either going to get Shore or Fado in that yeah. second game. And I would imagine they would go Shore, um, even though he pitched very well Sunday, Teddy. Well, Sully said. Um, I mean, obviously things can change. Sully said on Friday, probably whatever day it was, the days in Hoover run yes. together. 
Um, he said that Shore would either pitch Friday or Saturday. It feels yeah. like in past years they've just stuck with their same rotation. They've I think they they've up, used Shore in the opener, even against the four seed. I think that, but I, but I think the difference this year is Georgia Tech being so right-handed, and the fact that Puck pitched ahead of Shore in the tournament last week. I think he would leave it Puck Shore Fado, which means that Puck would get his last start before the before the draft against Bethune Cookman, which is really not what you expect. But I think that's what's going to happen. I think you're going to see Puck in that Friday game. Good luck with that, Bethune-Cookman. <laughs> and then uh, Shore for the second game, which is the most important game of the tournament, really. Um, but I think also because the right-hander is a better matchup against Georgia Tech um, is, a, is a big reason for that. Um, but that regional is, to me, a much easier draw than Louisville got. I think Louisville, at the two national seed, got a very tough draw. I don't know if Keegan Agan has anything in the tank. He pitched twice in the MAC tournament. Kudos to Kent State, which lost the game. I'm not ragging on Western Michigan, but Eric Lauer is going to be a first-round pick, and they didn't use him on short rest. Western Michigan has Keegan Agan, who could be a second-round pick. They used him on short rest. Western Michigan advances. Kent State doesn't. Kent State wins 44 games, stays home. But I want to make sure we point out that Kent State deserves kudos for protecting the pitcher's arm. There's a reason why Mike Birkbeck was our assistant coach of the year in 2011. Yeah. Uh, or 12, 12 I think, that was. Yeah. Um, they know what they're doing up at Kent State. Uh, and I, I think you know, there's so much negative attention on some of these teams. Here's some positive attention that I think Kent State deserves. That said, healthy Keegan Agan, if he's fresh enough or if he can pitch that game, tough matchup for anybody, not to mention Louisville. Then Ohio State and Wright State. Wright State's one of the better three seeds on this, guys. Mm-hmm. And Ohio State is red hot and physical. I mean, Jimmer, for me, Louisville's regional is much tougher than Florida's. Yeah, there are a couple of national seeds that kind of got uh, regionals that are tougher than maybe you would have thought. But, yeah, that's that's one. I mean, obviously, as we talked about, Ohio State's been red hot uh, down the stretch. They win the Big Ten tournament coming out of the loser's bracket. They played well down the stretch. Ronnie Dawson's been on fire for them. And, you know, Wright State, Sean, obviously getting Sean Murphy back, I mean, he's – you know, a big part of that, he's, you know, a difference maker back there. They're out without him for a lot of the year. And, I mean, that's that's a good team. Jesse Shulton's, you know, good, at, you know, Friday night ace who's thrown a legit, perfect game. legit number one pitcher. I'll know? see if they save him, obviously. But that's, I mean, that's a really tough regional. I don't think they can afford to save him because uh, Ohio State has, you know, is what they are. And, you know, it, it could be a really good pitching matchup there with uh, Tanner Tully uh, going for Ohio State against Jesse Shulton's. Um Personally, I mean, you knew this was going to happen, that Louisville was going to get Ohio State and Wright State, and uh, just because of the way the committee works and regionals work. Uh, but I was hoping that it wouldn't happen. Uh, but it is fun that, that Wright State and Ohio State do not play um, in the regular season. Oh, is that does Ohio State does not deign to play the smaller schools? Uh, there's there's some stuff there. Um, <laughs> but Ohio State would play them. Um you're our resident Ohio expert. They uh, they uh, they didn't play this year, so it's good that uh, you know we'll get it, uh, even if it's uh, unfortunately. You know, I, I would I would have liked, as always, to see a little more diversity in regional and super regional pairings. But um, one benefit is that we get this game, which didn't happen during the regular season. Yes, I like that. I like that matchup. I think that's a very tough regional. Um, the ones that you know, Florida's matched up with Florida State. Uh, the Tallahassee Regional also seems tough, Mike. I think we talked about that in the first podcast. Yeah. And the Vanderbilt Regional that is matched up with Louisville seems tough. Vandy, UC Santa Barbara probably shouldn't have been a two, but RPI, clearly they had a mm-hmm. two-seed RPI. 
UW is a three. We'll see if Troy Rawlings is healthy. Signs point to no. And Troy Rawlings, to me, kind of is Washington's baseball this year. That, that's how Washington was the number two team in the Pac-12. Lots of bunts and Troy Rawlings in their bullpen. And then Xavier, the Big East regular season and tournament champion is a four. Uh, really, Again, it just seems like Vanderbilt got a little bit of a tough uh, feel, but Florida State's Tallahassee much tougher in my mind. Yeah, I, I would say Florida State has a tough draw here. I mean, Southern Miss just just dethroned Rice. You know, Rice had, yeah. had won. Uh, Could have had a case to host. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know they've been, you know they've been up there all year in terms of RPI, and you know South Alabama was you know tied with uh, Louisiana Lafayette in, in the Sun Belt, and you know had a great year in their own right. You know, two teams that you know very tough and you know southern miss at one point yeah we were talking about them as a potential host in this tournament until things you know they they got swept by florida international you know the final the final weekend and right. you know just kind of struggled a little bit down the stretch so that cost them you know potential hosting but you know you look at that regional and yeah i think it's one of the tougher ones in this field this year i think it's a much harder draw than what vanderbilt got well i think it should be that way i mean florida state should be one of the last last hosts um you would think um so you would, you would hope that teams further down would get the harder regionals. You know, Florida State, let's talk about them for a minute. Mike, we saw them up close all week. Mm-hmm. We debated them in the last rankings of the year, the last regular season rankings. Mm-hmm. What is the real Florida State team? I mean, this team, the team that got, was getting dis, just destroyed, almost brought me to the point of using an expletive on this podcast, <laughs> losing 18-1 to to Clemson and just yeah. like TFCO. They didn't even want to show up. For that game, or the team that scored the next 12 runs of that game and really did compete and yeah. found an, an answer on the mound in Will Zierzow, great name, Zierzow, <laughs> which is the real Florida State. I mean, you were, I think, I feel like you're higher on them now than you were a month or two ago when you first saw them, and that's after watching them get pummeled for 18 runs in a game. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little higher on them now. It's, you know, it's still somewhat lukewarm, but I'm definitely a little higher on them now having watched them throughout this tournament and seeing them go 3 0 in full play. And, you know, obviously seeing them fight back down 17 runs in that game, I thought it was impressive, certainly. But, you know, the, the, the big question with them is the pitching. You know, I, I think that's really the biggest question, whether they're going to have enough, you know, especially from a starting pitching standpoint. If I were they might go all in on the freshman with Sands and Holton. Yeah, Those Holton, are the two pitchers. Holton impressed me. That was one of the reasons why I like them a little better, because I see now that they have a you know, a third option there. And, he was and good on it. Saturday. He was yeah. really good on Saturday. He dropped the bomb at the plate yeah, Sunday. He homered. Yeah, so yeah. He's, a, he's a two-way threat. But, yeah, he's, he's a solid lefty, a freshman lefty. You know, he doesn't blow it by you, but he's got good good feel for a breaking ball. And I, I saw four pitches. Our reports yeah. on him in a high school are four pitches for strikes. You know, his velocity wasn't – in that game wasn't what – you know, he had a short burst on the um, on the showcase circuit. But – yeah. I, I was impressed with Tyler Holden on Saturday as well against the U. Yeah, so. and then offensively, you know, I really do I do like them offensively. And the thing that stands out to me is that they have four switch hitters right. in their lineup, which, I mean, Taylor Walls, you start with him, leadoff hitter, shortstop. And then, I mean, three of them are in the in the top of the order, and Cal Raleigh and Jackson Luke. I yeah. think since they put Jackson Luke in the three-hole, in the, in the three putting him in the lineup, you know, he's been – he's hitting over 400. That's a team that for next year will be very interesting to see what, what Sands yeah. does as a sophomore, Holton, right. and then Luke and Raleigh. We're talking about all those are four freshmen. Those are pretty impact freshmen. Right. Taylor Walls is a sophomore. Dylan Busby, who had four home runs. Right, I haven't even talked AC. about Busby yet. Yeah, he was, feeling that that fad, he was feeling that Thad Busby vibe this weekend, <laughs> which I don't even know what a Thad Busby vibe is. He's a former Florida State quarterback, and 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had four home runs in the week. All those guys are coming back for them next year. Like their big yeah. losses, like John Sansone and yeah, the two pitchers who are the reason that um, you look at Compton and who's the other pitcher who's been there forever, the fifth year guy. Doggone it! There's one other uh, Carlton. Those are the no. guys that you just don't think. Drew Carlson's back. It's uh, I mean they've got uh, Warmoth and uh, Warmoth is a senior. Right. They've uh, they, they have two grad transfers in Warmoth and uh, oh man. Warmoth uh, was a little ugly this week. Yeah, yeah. I mean really it's uh, I mean they're they're losing Neaporte, they're losing Sansone, they're losing Compton, but none of these are are you know they're they've been significant players for Florida State, but they're also more complementary. They are not the Correct. stars of this team. I mean Sansone is has been exceptional this year, but he's not. Um, he's not a star. He's right. a good. He's a good college player. He's a guy that that came on as a senior. And, right. Um, I feel like the rest of that team, the the bulk of that team coming back next year will be very very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Teddy wanted to ask you, Vanderbilt, another very young team. Am I wrong, or is Vanderbilt's offense outside of Brian Reynolds pretty pedestrian right now? Because Jaron Kendall was off to a great start this year. Feels like he's backed up a bit. I don't know what, how, what kind of week he had and. This just feels like away from home, a very ordinary offensive team. I know Vanderbilt had an interesting week in Hoover. They went two and two. Um, you know, they start out um, against Missouri. They win that seven to nothing. Um, and that was off Tanner Houck, right? That was off Tanner Houck. Though Tanner Houck was uh, short on shorter rest. rest. I mean, it wasn't really short rest, but it was shorter rest. Um, but it, they did beat Tanner Houck seven to nothing, and then um, they end up going two and two. And they get run ruled. Uh, I think that was the first time they'd ever been run ruled in a tournament uh, or in the SEC tournament. But they also did score a bunch of runs in a couple of those games. Um, in the loss to Ole Miss, they got down big early and um, came back and actually made it a game. And I think annoyed people by how long the game <laughs> took because they kept scoring runs after it looked like it was over. Yeah, they wound up losing 12 9. Yeah. But it was like 12 3 early. Yeah. Or like that. Yeah. Um, so. It's an offense that can do stuff. Um, there is a bit of a boomer bust nature to it, um, but you know, Reynolds, like a better version of North Carolina. It sounds like <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, it's way more athletic than North Carolina's lineup because you got Reynolds, you got Kendall, you got Alonzo Jones who can fly. Liam Sabino, uh, yeah, Liam Sabino comes off the bench, uh, pinch hit a couple times down there. Um, you know, it, they're still kind of finding their way though. Uh, Ro Coleman had been their left fielder most of the year, but. Uh, they are not satisfied there with his defense or his offensive production particularly. So they were kind of looking for some answers down there, and maybe they found one in Walker Grisanti, another freshman. I mean, it's just a really young lineup, and sometimes young lineups hit, and sometimes young lineups don't hit. They miss, they, obviously, they miss Dansby Swanson. The other thing they really miss is just Will Toffey from last year just hasn't shown up. Seven he actually hits. played really well in Hoover. But, yeah, the the overall body of work this year for Will Toffey has not been what it was as a freshman. So 397 on base, 272 slugging percentage. That is not what I would have expected. Uh, next couple sets of super regionals. We're gonna uh, regionals. We're gonna talk a lot about the uh, Raleigh regional, I'm sure, because it's in our backyard. But NC State, we talked about this earlier. They got a tough regional with Coastal Carolina, St. Mary's, Navy, guys. Uh, LSU, Baton Rouge regional on the other side. Rice, Southeastern Louisiana, Utah Valley. It feels like they're LSU and then seven other teams in that bracket. I don't mean to slight NC State in that way. I'm glad they got to host a regional. Um, but they're banged up on the mound. I feel like Coastal Carolina, St. Mary's, Navy, all those kind of teams are interesting, but LSU's playing really well. I know they ended up 
faltering a bit uh, in the SEC tournament after their big win against Florida. But um, am I alone in thinking that LSU, the number uh, what number eight national seed, that this is I don't know about a cakewalk, but this this sets up very nicely for LSU, Jimmer, in my mind. It does. I mean, they'll certainly be a heavy favorite. I'm mean, gonna see if I mean Rice. We know we know Rice has arms, so. You never know what might happen there if, you know, John Duplantier or Blake Fox, whichever one they end up, end up facing, uh, you know, has a good night. Or Southeastern Louisiana is a good team. That can't. I mean, those wouldn't be a – it's not a cakewalk regional, but they're certainly the favorite. And, yeah, I mean, the one in Raleigh, that's – a lot. that could go a lot of different directions. I think, I mean, NC State was not very good down the stretch. As you said, their pitching is pretty banged up. So that, that that's a pretty wide-open regional there. And, yeah, LSU is on fire. I'm going to say they just won – you know, they won a series at home against Florida to end the year. They played well in Hoover. I mean, it's, it's, they're definitely a, a strong favorite to come out of that, as you say, as you say out of that group of eight. Uh, you were there in Hoover, Teddy. What was your impression of the, uh, of the, the Bayou Bengals? Can they win uh, without the Rally Possum uh, magic? I mean, I'm a little tired of that myself. I mean, I don't think you've seen the last of that marsupial. Oh, I'm I mean, sure. <laughs> I, know they, I know they lost to Florida, but you'll, you'll see that again. You'll be seeing that the rest of the year. Um, Especially since, uh, well, maybe we'll see other teams show up with an owl like uh, like Florida did, um, because that's a possum's natural, uh, <laughs> natural predator. Yeah, sure. Um, I was I always think the natural uh, predator of the possum is the car, you know, <laughs> possum or roadkill. The way I think about it. Um, but yeah, LSU had a really good week down there. That they have, they're another team that has a young lineup. They're a little older than Vanderbilt. Um, they, uh, you know, we've talked about how how LSU lost eight starters from last year and how they were going to replace them and, right. and what was it going to look like. Well, what it looks like right now is an offense that is clicking on all cylinders. They got shut out in their last game by Florida. Sometimes that happens, but they they've really been a consistent offense during this hot stretch where they've won. I think it's fourteen of sixteen now, and the. The lineup is a huge part of that. They pitch. They pitch well. You have Alex Lane. That's a great start to a pitching staff. But He looked great. After giving up those first two runs against yes. Florida, he was locked down the rest of the game. He was toe-to-toe with A.J. Puck. Absolutely. And, um, you know, they've got Poche. Caleb Gilbert pitched really well in the game they did lose to Florida. He only gave up the one run. Uh, it was a one nothing win for Florida. So it was a, a very well-pitched game all around. So they pitch, and their hitting is now... You know, they've got it where they, they want it, and they have a – they just do a very good job of staying with their approach. It's a team that doesn't strike out a lot. They put the ball in play. They make the defense work for it. And, uh, you know, they, they've got some speed. They've got some athleticism. And, you know, they, they should be able to, to do some things. I mean, like you like we've mentioned, the other teams here in this uh, regional, you know, Rice struggled down the stretch. Southeastern struggled down the stretch. I mean, this is – this sets up very well for LSU. I think so, and uh, the, the 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 Raleigh regional is gonna gonna have very interesting pitching. Would anyone here be surprised if Coastal won that regional? Not one bit. No. no. Would anybody be surprised if NC State won that regional? I wouldn't be surprised. And the yeah. host. Yeah. Um, I, I would be shocked though if anybody else won the Baton Rouge regional, right? I mean, like if any, yeah. no. anyone other than LSU won that. That would blow me away. I mean, Rice is, like Jim mentioned, they have good pitching, but it is limited. They have three really good starters. They have a dynamite closer in Glen Otto, and after that, they're short. Yeah, I think they are. Um, South Carolina, speaking of short, Chad Holbrook leads the Gamecocks into a host <laughs> regional. I kid because I love. I love Chad Holbrook. But uh, 
That's a tough regional, guys. That's a tough setup for an SEC team. Uh, you get an ACC team as your three. Mm-hmm. Jimmer, explain to me Duke as a three versus Wake Forest a two. Why? How'd that happen? <laughs> Was it one game in Durham that important? Why is Wake a three, a two? And uh, Oh, no, they're both threes. I, I, I confused myself. Both those teams are threes. Why are those teams threes and Georgia Tech's a two? Because that, they because yeah, they because they swept question. Coastal Carolina. That certainly cost Coastal Carolina hosting a regional. Uh, on the, sure uh, seems like it. I mean the uh, the uh, the committee chairman on the uh, on the call just now, uh, or you know, an hour ago, whatever it was. I mean, he basically said straight out. I mean, not verbatim, but that Georgia uh, that Coastal is getting swept by Georgia Tech cost them hosting a regional. I mean, so it was. He said some little. Yeah, he said another little spiel about other stuff, but that was pretty much it. Um, and yeah, so I mean, these two. Um, what was the, what was the question? Well, the question was, uh, why, why is Georgia Tech okay, yeah, two yeah, and yeah, Duke yeah, right. three? Okay. That, that's it's been a long week, really Jimmer. That's yes. okay. Um, Jimmer, Jimmer covered the hell out of the Southern Conference tournament, and that's in this, days. that's in this, that's in this, uh, these these two pods as well with Western Carolina and Clemson. Exactly. I'm, I mean, so that's why I wanted to go to you on this um, one. I mean, what's up with the Catamounts? And do they they they've always been a very offensive mm-hmm. team. Bob Miranda, their head coach, was a pitching coach, has a very pitching coach centric, mm-hmm. uh, you know, reputation. Um, for me, uh, that's like that's a very that's a tough regional as well with Clemson, Western, Nebraska, Oklahoma State. Nebraska was kind of bubble in, but how, what, what was the what was the story of the SoCon tournament as Western Carolina overcame Kyle Lewis and Mercer twice on Sunday? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I do think Mercer was probably the best team there, but I mean, Coastal, you know, they. Figure they kind of coastal western. <laughs> they uh, they bore down. I and I'm trying to think of a, a, a lighter way to say it, but they, you know, they they toughened up and, and got That's it. There you go. <laughs> um, they showed Bobby Moran had a more uh, descriptive way to to what he described it last night. But yeah, I mean they they had to overcome. You know, they took a kind of a gut punch loss in the winners bracket game Saturday afternoon. Bounced back. Got some big efforts on the mound from guys on short rest. Uh, Brian Sammons, their number one, who got knocked around by Wofford in their first game. He came back on three days rest through, I think it was seven innings. Uh, and then they brought their their closer, B.J. Noble, start the winner-take-all game. He goes eight and two-thirds. And, yeah, then they just found a way to pull out some tight games. And, obviously, they're winning, winning on the walk-off HBP, not to... Not not not, 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 uh, not the Hollywood ending, but it, they'll, they'll take it. And, yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, they've got a dangerous offense. I mean, Matt Smith was their uh, first baseman, was red hot. Uh, Kramer Farrell, a senior left fielder, was red hot. I mean, they've, Dan, Danny Bermudez, a veteran catcher, has been around. He's, he's a, a dangerous hitter, and they've got some speed. They've Danny Bermudez. Is he a transfer from somewhere? His name sounds uh, familiar. I don't know. I think he's been there a little. Anyway. But, yeah, I mean, they, they're, you know, if they, I mean, we'll see how the pitching holds up. Obviously, it was pretty taxed, but they can score, and that's going to, you know, they're they're not they're not going to be a pushover for you know no matter no matter who they're m- uh, matched up with. Because Clemson Clemson doesn't pitch great, Mike. There's no other way around it. They won the ACC tournament by pitching well, and then they just slugged their way past Florida State, where basically Alec Bostic, who they had very high hopes for coming into the season, yeah, threw exceptionally well Sunday, four innings, eight strikeouts. He's a straight reliever, but the fact that he went four innings, even though he's out of the stretch against Florida State lineup. Maybe they pitch him, but I mean, like, what's Clemson's pitching plans outside of do what we can to get the ball to Pat Crawl? 
I think that's exactly it. I think it's get the ball <laughs> to Pat Crawl. I think it's use Pat Crawl as much as he possibly can, and which is what they did in this tournament. And that's, yeah. that's a big reason, you know, why they they won, or at least you know part of the reason that and Mike Triller. Uh, I was wondering <laughs> what his name was going to come surprisingly, up. Surprisingly, but um, I should be just playing the bass line in the background. But do 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 do. His name just yeah. puts that head that in my head at all it, times. Yeah, no, it does for me too. If you follow me on Twitter. <laughs> this, this week you would have seen it, but Mike had to step up his GIF game because the Vine <laughs> game was prohibited. I and did. He did so. I did, but yeah, I mean, you look at Clemson's pitching staff, and it's not super deep. Uh, it's they're going to have to really battle on the mound. Uh, you know, Charlie Barnes is a is a decent college lefty. You know, a guy who's going to turn in a you know a solid start. You know, there's sometimes he's going to be knocked around a little bit too. He doesn't have blow it by you stuff. You know, I was, you know, seeing Clay Schmidt. I hadn't seen him since back in March when they played South Carolina. And noticeably, his stuff was, was firmer. The velocity was, was a little higher, uh, up a few ticks. And, you know, he he's worked on his, his mechanics. He's become a little more rotational in his delivery. And he's, he's gotten a few ticks on his fastball up to 91, 92 when it was in the, the mid to high 80s early on this year. Hmm. And he was holding that velocity late into the game. So I think that's a significant development because – you know, he's a guy, obviously, a senior with a, with a ton of experience and a, and a ton of moxie, just everything that he's had to battle through, yeah. you know, and, and go through off the field and on the field. So he's a, he's a guy, certainly, who, you know, here in the postseason could could be a guy to step up in a, in a big moment for them. But, you know, they're not going to win with their pitching, necessarily. I think they're going to win just, you know, grinding through games. I think that's the thing that kind of impressed me most about this Clemson team is, you know, looking at them this week, you know, they, they overcame some some deficits and, yeah. you know, some really close games. And, you know, Mont- Monty Lee talks about winning the last nine outs. And you look at the last nine outs, except for, you know, maybe this past game. But, yeah. <laughs> but for, the most, for the most part, they, they, won the, they won those last nine outs. That was awesome. You um, said my you said my bracket flying, Mike. That's outstanding. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they yeah. won the nine. To lose the last nine outs, 8 nothing to Florida State yeah. and win the game by five runs. Yeah. It's a big lead. It's uh, an imposing offense, though, when everyone's swinging the way they've been swinging. And obviously, Monty Lee has done a great job of just kind of pushing the right buttons. And I think Mike Triller is the, the biggest example, a guy who came into the week with only 26 at-bats this year, only four hits, and he ends up winning MVP of the whole tournament, hitting two home runs. And That's crazy. Yeah, that crazy. was a crazy. That was a crazy MVP. Dylan Busby was the best player at the ACC tournament, yeah. but you know the winning team gets I, I understand that. Yeah. Uh, does, does UNC by the sea, uh, Wilmington or Duke or uh, Rhode Island with their left-hander Taylor, who's like twelve and one? Teddy, any of those teams have a shot at upsetting South Carolina? The Gamecocks went two and Q down in Hoover. Uh, As they, always, you, you yeah, were that, always, is, that is their. Uh, their that's philosophy. their mo. Yeah. It does seem like that's their mo. Uh, d- d- does that worry you at all about the Gamecocks? They basically finished pretty meh down the stretch of the year. Yeah, they are not. I mean, I think. Um, I'm sure they'll disagree with this, but they may have peaked a little early this year. Um, you know, we'll see if they can get it back uh, now that the postseason's here. Chad Holbrook, uh, in his uh, final press conference after they, they lost their second game, talked about how they needed to find guys um, to that could give them competitive at-bats, uh, that he didn't feel like down there that guys were taking competitive at-bats. And that they were going to spend this week doing two-a-day practices and that they were he, he intended to practice very hard, get them as sick of uh, seeing him as possible <laughs> so that on Friday when they go out and see another jersey, they're just so happy to see somebody else. Um, you know, So Chad knows that, that he's got to get the team in a better spot than they were this week, uh, and he'll probably be able to do that. I mean, it's, it's a talented team, and I think this is not 
a super difficult uh, draw. Wilmington struggled down the stretch a little bit. Right, very offensive team, but reeling, I have to imagine, after blowing, what was it, a yeah, seven-run so lead in the ninth like inning to William & Mary? Seven or eight, something like, like that. Twice, too, right? It was ugly. Uh, yeah, that, that was. I know that was in the first game. Then they lost the if necessary game. Yeah, I, I guess they didn't blow a, a lead in the Speaking second game. They just probably, got down big in the second game. Probably the one uh, true bid thief other than Utah. It was William, William and Mary. Mary. Yeah. And then uh, Duke, first time since 1961 to get in. I mean, they're going to pitch, but are they going to? I mean, they're they're a different team on the road as well. Um, they've been better on the road, yeah, frankly. And they've been better. They have been, and uh, you know, we'll see how they handle this environment. They've uh, obviously gone to some some tough environments before, but this is different. This is a regional, and there's no one on that team at all with regional experience. Not that South Carolina is brimming with experience right. since they missed last year. Uh, but this is going to be a, just a new thing for Duke, and so it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. The storyline of Clemson, South Carolina, if those teams both win and build up to a Super Regional, that will be a bonkers media reaction. And Clemson, to me, is the team trending in the better direction there. But they would, you know, I, I, you know, they're they're gonna, they, would, they would host their national seed. They're the what number seven national seed. Yeah. Yeah. That would be an amazing story for Monty Lee to get to Clemson, and in his first year. Take them to Omaha. That is, uh, it's there. It's in there. It's in there. It's doable. I'm not saying they're the favorite. I guess I am saying they're the favorite to do that. They are. I think they are the favorite in, out of these teams to, to get to Omaha in his very first year. It's it, it is beyond anything I thought was possible for Clemson this year. Extremely impressed uh, by the Tigers. Um, next set of uh, super of regionals and super regional pairings, Texas Tech. Uh, hosting second, trying to get to Omaha for the second time in three years. Uh, Tim Tadlock, it's <laughs> a guy we just probably just don't talk about. Speaking enough. of JC coaches, I mean I, he didn't go there directly, but that's a he's got some uh, some JC. That's that 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 should help. That should help JC the JC track record. Um, that is a very offensive regional, guys. Dallas Baptist. Um, did I write that down right? Okay, that's a Dallas DBU. Baptist, New Mexico. New Mexico, Fairfield. I have DBQ. I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> what the heck is that? That's like, that's like a dairy like a blank dairy. queen, you know? I mean, like, that's the wrong that's the wrong abbreviation. That's like a dairy queen slash barbecue place. That's right. Mm, DBQ. <laughs> Great idea, Mike. Uh, soft, serve bar, soft serve ice cream and brisket. Um, Texas Tech, guys, uh, one and two in the Big 12, but they dominated the Big 12 so long, it's almost... Did they lose their edge a little bit? I mean, like the, what, the, the last two weeks of the year, it's almost like they didn't have anything to play for. Yeah, I think they didn't care. Um, not, time to get, time to get care, refocused. But yeah, they, they also had a finals break that was probably unfortunately timed um, two weeks before the end of the season. Um, so they do need to, to refocus and get going, but I'm pretty confident that uh, Tadlock will be able to get that team going again. Um, you know, he's... They are in a position that nobody expected they would be in at the start of the year. I know Jimmer, when he was doing preseason Big 12 stuff, um, you know, coaches mentioned that Texas Tech was a, a sleeper there, but I don't think anybody thought they were a sleeper all the way up to the, you know, fifth national seed. Um, so, you know, they should be able to, to get things going. It is a bit of a tougher draw. DBU is, uh, you know, they, they're rolling again. Uh, right. You know, Dan Hefner has that team going again. And New Mexico is very offensive, as you mentioned. Um, interesting storyline with, with Ray Birmingham and uh, and Tadlock being close friends from uh, yeah uh, you know so it, it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out but you know I 
Texas Tech is the most talented team there, and um, you know I, I think they'll be able to find their find their edge again. And that national seed will be matched up with the Virginia regional, which is a tough regional, guys. For me, uh, Bryant as the two as a top twenty-five team, uh, we're all Bryant believers. East Carolina as a three has already played the Cavaliers and beat them two out of three this year. And William and Mary coming off a red hot. Uh, Colonial Athletic Association tournament. Uh, you know, Mike, we saw Virginia all week. Um, pretty impressive victory for them offensively against. Uh, they, well, they, they were who they we kind of thought they were in terms of the fact that they really are an offensive minded club this year. Mm-hmm. They lost a the game to Wake Forest with Connor Jones pitching. That that's the biggest question is which Connor Jones are going to show up because his stuff was pretty. Well, it was the Clemson, mediocre. It was the Clemson, Clemson that he lost. I'm sorry. He got knocked around there, too. They gave up 10 runs to Wake Forest. Yeah. Pitching-wise, I just don't feel like they're not, uh, Virginia's peaking right now. Yeah, they're not super deep as far as pitching goes. You know, I do think they've figured out things in their starting rotation, although it wasn't a banner week for, for Connor Jones and for uh, for Alec Bettinger. Uh, it wasn't a banner week for them by any Correct. stretch. But but Adam Hazley had a, had a nice start going toe-to-toe with Drew Harrington. He was just good enough. He had five walks yeah. in that game, but he was he – was, <laughs> He was on the precipice. I do wonder what would have yeah. happened if, if uh, how different would that turn out if you had bases loaded two outs in the bottom of the fifth instead of facing Colby Fitch, who's a nice hitter, who's had a good year. Yeah. You're facing Brendan McKay, and they gave McKay that day off because the game was a friendly. Right. And he pitch hit later in the game, but uh, you're facing Fitch instead of McKay. That makes a big difference for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, certainly. That, that could have made a difference in that game, but... Yeah, you know, with Virginia, it wasn't a, a, a super impressive tournament, but, I mean, you look at the two losses, they were they were close games, they were in both games. You know, Clemson just kind of gutted it out at the end. I mean, right. Virginia had rallied back to tie, you know, Thice hit a home run to tie against Pat Crawl, their their top reliever, as we talked right. about earlier, to tie that game in the eighth inning, and it was just a, a sack fly in the ninth that, that won it for Clemson, and... You know, the Wake Forest game was 10-9. to 9. It was just a, a slugfest, which there were several of those this yes. week. The ball was flying out of that ballpark this week. A lot of conference tournaments turn into slugfests. I love yeah. that the SOCON finals were 3-2 to two and 4-2. How'd that happen? And your, guy, your guys were 18-13. Yeah. How'd that happen? I mean, like, That's a good uh, question. How, where did those teams find the pitching? Because did did, I'm serious. Like, did they use guys who were little used during the season? There were a few. There was some of that. I mean, the guys on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday. <laughs> um, was, um, I mean, they both Mercer. Or, um, yeah, Mercer started its ace in the last game. Western started its ace in the first game. Uh, I mean, they weren't. I guess the one. I mean, Mer- in the early game, Mercer did use a guy that I guess maybe made some midweeks, but he was kind of further down the depth chart. Uh, Josh uh, Nice, I believe, was his name. And so there, were, I mean, there were some games kind of in the middle where te- you saw teams using guys as like, thrown maybe like you know ten, the ten innings or whatever that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know, at the end it, they were using their their good arms, uh, and in both cases, so we're not uh, for the record, and so we're not uh, throwing coaches under the bus here. We're talking about right. Eric Lauer. Um, so Mercer started Ryan Askewitz ace on Sunday. He had been he only threw pit- fifty pitches in his first game before they took him out. Uh, so he was on three days rest, but. They took him out early in their first game, and Brian Salmon's Mercer, uh, Western's ace uh, was a case where he was so bad in his first start that he did not throw very much. <laughs> so that's they were able to bring him back, and then, uh, but so yeah, but so they were using their best guys at the end. Well, maybe that explains it. Conference tournaments in general, guys. I mean, 
I don't know, for it, against it, Teddy? How do you stand on that? We have a four seed on the other side of the bracket in Utah that Pac-12 had no tournament, and Utah and UW basically had a de facto Pac-12 championship series over the weekend in Salt Lake. UW wins the first game, and Utah rallies back to win the last two with an offensive display against the Troy Rawlings-less Huskies. Uh, which do you prefer? Would you prefer the regular season, or do you prefer the tournament? I think if you're a power conference and you can make money on your tournament, as I believe both the SEC and ACC do, uh, go have your tournament, make your money, cash your checks. If you are not in that situation, I am in the belief that the MAC is at a disservice this year because it put a team in regionals that is under 500 in Michigan State while Kent Western State Michigan, yeah. Western Michigan while Kent State sits at home with 44 wins. However, um, if you don't have a tournament, what that does is creates a lot of really tough practices in April and May for about half of your league that has already been eliminated. So, huh. yeah, um, interesting point. Yeah, that's a that's a thing that, that some coaches have mentioned that, you know, one of the things that they like about the tournament is that when you have eight spots, 10 spots, however many teams you take, um, you know, it keeps more teams with something to play for. And that actually like not only do they have something to play for in the games, but it actually gives them a reason to show up at the field and to take practice seriously and stuff. Right. JJ, so, you know, JJ and I talked about this with the in a previous podcast. It was more of a draft oriented podcast. But at some point, it almost feels like the NCAA is going to have to take it out of these coaches' hands and have pitch limits for their pitchers in tournaments. Because otherwise, you're going to see Anthony Kay used on short rest, Duplantier at Rice on short rest, Keegan Agan on short rest which just is terrible PR for college baseball, plain and simple. And the coaches, in general, for every Kent State, there are three or four other examples. And you just you can't expect the coach, to, for the majority of coaches, to put the player's interest ahead of theirs. And they think they're doing the player's interest by trying to win the tournament, and they are. But for those few prospects, it's, it's hard to argue that it's good for those guys to throw 100 pitches twice or 75-plus pitches twice in four days. If it's good for them, do it all the freaking time. And they clearly don't think it's good for them because they don't do it all the time. You know, Otherwise, you'd use your guy on Tuesday in a midweek and then on Saturday. And on Tuesday, you know, you'd, you would do it all the time. So at some point in the NCAA, because I think you're right, tournaments do have – that's a great reason from a coach's viewpoint of why you want a tournament – so if that's the case, at some point the NCAA is probably going to have to pull a little league and limit pitches, limit I, workloads. I would like more tournaments to go to pool play. I know pool play gets a bad rap here in the ACC, um, which is maybe – are they the only pool play tournament? I think they're 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 the they only are. One, um, the only one left. Yeah, because the Big 12 used to do it when they had yeah, 12 yeah, teams. Yeah, they went back. Yeah. Uh, CUSA used to do it. They went back to double elimination. And, I mean, I know why people don't like it, because they don't like ties and they don't like the tie-breaking situation, but I think it's just better when you know that you're going to go and you're going to play three games, which is what you do normally, and then you go and you play one more, and everybody has enough pitching to do that because you have to play four games a lot of weeks in college baseball. How about this format? How about 12 teams, four three-team pools? You just play two. You're guaranteed two games. And then four teams advance, semifinals, finals. 
That's the one proposal of the ACC. The other one is 12 teams, four three-team pools, and then you take the top two teams in every pool, and then you do eight to four to two. So the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. So that'd be a long tournament. But um, that, that is probably too long. I think that's too long. I don't like the I don't like the quarterfinals. But if you did it the other way, it's like a hybrid where you do have pool play. Everyone's guaranteed two games um, minimum, and then no one plays more than four. So um, I like that about the pool play. Uh, real quick, we should motor through these. We've already discussed the Starkville Regional on the previous podcast. Very difficult regional. Mississippi State hosting Cal State Florida, Louisiana Tech, and Southeast Missouri. How about the one with uh, Louisiana Lafayette getting to host? I think it's the third time Lafayette's gotten to host uh, all time. Maybe the fourth time. It is the third time. Third time. Uh, 2000, 2014, and now. Um, so the Raging Cajuns with Princeton as their one. I, Princeton's had some spirited in, uh, uh, inner squads, I'm guessing, because they clinched <laughs> about three years ago. Uh, it was really more like three weeks ago. Arizona, the two seed. Sam Houston State, the three. Arizona... I, Jim, for me, I thought Arizona was going to – they had a chance to host. They did, And yeah. I'm surprised they didn't host. I thought if anybody was going to host out west, it would have been Zona. I guess finishing tied for third in the Pac-12 uh, hurt them in that regard, which also makes sense. Pac-12 was down this year. Um, Arizona going on the road at Louisiana Lafayette. Arizona has not been too stout on the road. feels like this is Louisiana Lafayette's regional to win. Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously Lafayette always have a, a great atmosphere there. It's always, you know, they are great at home. And Arizona, I mean, they, they do have some quality wins. They're ten and six against the top fifty. They obviously won a series at Rice to start the year. But I think that's their only road that series win, if memory serves. I think. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm oh, pretty... they swept Cal. So okay, on the road. So there you go. Yep. Yeah, well, and they beat Hawaii on the road. Right there. You go. That's, that's <laughs> the one. And the Pac-12. But uh, yeah. When I was looking through their their uh, series losses, it was swept at Utah, lost two out of three at UW. Those were really the two series mm-hmm. that cost them the Pac-12 title. Uh, one and two at USC as well, and one and two at Oregon. Yeah, I mean, if they had, if you just look at that, the. Um... You know, a couple of those with the USC series that they lost, or like the one you said to uh, Oregon. I mean, if they just say win those series, they probably you know they say they tie for the title. They're probably they are hosting. I mean, they have the RPI for it. They're twenty one. You know, their metrics are all right, but anyway, it is what it is. They're going to Lafayette. That's going to be a tough road trip. Uh, Sam Houston finished the season really well. They won the uh, Sunday uh, Southland. That's a team that's come on. So Sunbelt, right? Oh no, Southland. They are the Southland. Right, yeah. Lafayette's the Sunbelt. My bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's gonna be a, I think that's gonna be a fun uh, fun tournament. I think it's also gonna be a fun tournament in uh, in Oxford, and I think that's a tough regional for Ole Miss, which was borderline national seed. Guys winds up getting the Pac-12 champion as their fourth seed with Jason Rose is a, a legit ace. Uh, that's gonna be a tough matchup for uh, Ole Miss in that first game, and then Justin Dunn, another legit ace uh, for Boston College, a three seed against Tulane. I think we're all happy to see Mike Gambino and BC uh, get in. BC, very difficult for them to put a number 35 RPI together uh, when you're in the Northeast. Uh, Teddy, what's your take on this regional? It feels like Ole Miss got a pretty tough draw for not being uh, for just being on the cusp of if you'd seeded in 10 teams, they would have been in that top 10. Indeed. Um, the thing about uh, you know their four is I don't 
I don't know exactly how you look at Utah from a committee's perspective. Yeah, how do you treat them? You know, they are the a, a Pac-12 champion and they number do, 93 RPI now. They've crawled into the top hundred. I mean, but it's still 93, and and they're under 500 overall. But yeah, you're giving them a a, a pretty tough team uh, there. So I, you know, that's that's a tough one to line up when you line up the fours. It's hard to um, expect. It's hard to expect Utah to do well in the regional, Jimmer, when they're six and 16 non-conference. Six and sixteen, so and and they were five and sixteen before winning against BYU in their last non-conference mm-hmm. game of the year. But prior to that, lost to Utah Valley, which did go to regionals. WAC champion Utah Valley, kudos to Cam Michalio's alma mater. Um, but they 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 won two out of three at home against UC Riverside. But I mean the other non-conference for them, you know, St. Mary's a regional team, but one and three against Houston Baptist, losses to Kansas and Kansas State. Uh, there are other, other losses, Teddy's alma mater, Ball State, I mean, but losses to O State and Minnesota. I guess all those, hey, most of those games are regional I mean, teams. The, the thing about all of those losses is that they're early right. for the most part. They don't, right. well, they don't do well in midweeks. So if they do fall into the loser's bracket, if, if Mississippi wins that game, as you would expect they would, it's going to be difficult for the Utes to come out of the loser's bracket. If they are able to win that game, they have – three pretty solid weekend guys and that's why they've done as well as they've done in the Pac-12 but they're going to have to win that first game and Ole Miss is going to have to throw Brady Bramlett they don't have their pitching staff has depth to it but it's more bullpen depth right and Mike Bianco knowing how to use a pitching staff than it is um, you know several starting stud kind of guys Uh, so they'll throw their ace and and if they get through that game they'll set up pretty well Tulane uh, a could have been in the host mix. You know, we had them in this a host a week ago, and then they had a bit of a disappointing uh, AAC tournament in Clearwater, and they wind up as a two. And it's a tough two. Uh, BC, I still don't know what to make of BC. Um, they've Very got some, good pitching. They've got some good pieces. They know how to go on the road. They are not going to be intimidated. Um, you know, so they'll uh, they'll be a tough team. I, I, you know, they they could they could make some noise down there, or you know, we'll we'll see. I'm just gonna throw this out for Utah. If Utah. Uh, had a better regular season, and just projecting into the future, Utah drew 4,400 on Saturday, I believe it was, or Friday, the second game of the tournament, 6,000 in the clincher, 6,000 and change at Salt Lake City at Utah in the AAA park for the for the clincher against UW. So Utah's the first men's team to win a Pac-12 championship since Utah joined that league five years ago. They're going to get a new ballpark out of this. You watch. They're going to get an on-campus ballpark out of this run. Look in the future. Don't be surprised if Utah becomes a – and UW. Those are going to be regular factors in the Pac-12. USC, Stanford, these schools let this happen, That Utah, this, this vacuum at the top of the Pac-12. Utah and Washington took advantage of it. Washington got its ballpark. They're capitalizing on it. Every year, the recruiting classes get better and better for UW. It's going to start happening for Utah. They're going to go into NorCal. They're going to get players. And eventually, they're going to be regionals at Utah because they're going to draw. I mean, they're going to draw for baseball. They drew 10,000 for the last two games there. And if one of these teams in the pack or one of these teams in the West, if Fullerton drew 3,000 a game, if Arizona drew 4,000 a game, I think that would have been a difference maker in getting a regional. But the passion for college baseball out there in terms of Consistent attendance is not what it needs to be to overcome this RPI difference. But if, to me, if Arizona drew 4,000, 5,000 a game, 
Why would you go to Arizona? Why would you go to Lafayette instead of Arizona? If the resume were maybe one game different. I mean, like, Arizona, when it's close, how can you go to the West when they don't draw? You know, it's the NCAA. Do you really think they don't pay attention to the money? Uh, who is altruistic in this in this universe? Nobody. So why would you expect the baseball tournament to be altruistic and spread the regionals around? I'm, I've been reading too many whiny Big 12, you know, Pac-12 West Coast fan tweets. I apologize for my uh, for my <laughs> rant. But Utah, I'm just so jacked for Utah because their fans responded, and that's what you want to see. So, uh, and the team responded. 33 runs the last two games against UW. Yeah, that was uh, that was a blowout on Sunday. It was blowout city, and the Akron diaspora rears its head. Jason Lapiana, next year, watch uh, Zach Mukenhorn is going to the SEC somewhere from North Dakota. He's going to be a factor. We'll be talking about him at this time next year, being a Friday or Saturday guy in an SEC school uh, come regional time. Uh, Baseball America podcast wrapping up. Miami, Stetson, Florida Atlantic, Long Beach State. Jimmer, I think we were all kind of excited to see Long Beach State mm-hmm. in as a three seed. Mm-hmm. Good sign for the West. FAU, a tough one and two in Conference USA. Um, I don't know that it really cost them a one seed. Maybe if they won Conference USA, they could have been a one seed. They, would have, they weren't going to host. No. I don't know where you would have sent them. <laughs> you know, if they had been a one seed, that's a that's an interesting what if. Maybe if FAU wins Conference USA, do they pick a West Coast team to host? I mean, it's interesting one. That's that interesting that was, scenario. That was a scenario that was in play. I think the. I mean, I know we talked. Jim and I talked about. You know, can you do that to FAU? Would, would they actually have said, "Okay, you're a one, but here go to go all the way across the country to Fullerton, yeah. to, Fullerton or to Arizona"? Um, ultimately, it doesn't doesn't come into play. But that's still a tough game. For Miami, uh, those two teams played twice during the regular season. They split them. Uh, so, you know, if it comes to that, FAU has experience against Miami. They know what they're getting into. Uh, and Beach is, uh, I mean, that's a good team. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I expected them to win uh, this weekend against Fullerton, mostly because it was a home series and that they'd already beaten Fullerton at Fullerton. But Fullerton finds a way to pull it out, as uh, the Titans often do. Yes. Uh, but the Dirtbags are still a tough team. And, uh, you know, they travel. Um, you know, they went to Oklahoma early in the year. They're not um, a team that just sits around on, in the West Coast and, and plays those teams. Um, you know, Fullerton Correct. and Beach both get out, and, and Santa Barbara, too. Uh, you know, those big West teams do a good job at getting out and, and playing elsewhere, and I think that'll serve the Dirtbags well this week. But, I mean, you still look at Miami as, uh, you know, one of the national title favorites, and, you know, so that. There are good teams here, but Miami, you, you have to be looking at them as the, the team to get out. I was impressed with the Hurricanes this week. I uh, was surprised the game they lost to Florida State in terms of the way they lost it. They rallied a tie and um, then couldn't hold them off uh, after tying that game at four. I thought Miami would be a little bit more offensive than they were. You know, just the down years by Jacob Hayward and uh, Willie Abreu. Uh, really thought both those guys would be around 300. Jacob Hayward's in about 220 right now. Still a factor defensively. Uh, still a factor if you make a mistake. He's got power to punish it. But uh, real exciting lineup. I think FAU's just as good offensively um, as Miami. They're not as talented, but they've been more. They've performed as well. So uh, that's going to be a really interesting regional to watch. Um, but I do think Miami has it set up in front of them uh, the, the, to, to go to back to Omaha back to back years. Was the last time Miami went back to back, Jim Irvin? Like 2000, mm. uh, 1999 and 1998? Yeah, maybe. I mean, their last consecutive trips to the College World Series because I think they went 08, 06, 
Um, I don't think it went 07. No. And before so. that, it was like 03, 01, something like that. So, um, but Miami, to me, uh, I also think they're starting to figure out their pitching a bit. Mediavia is okay, but Lapore, some of the other younger arms, starting to figure some things out for Miami. So I'm excited about their pitching as well. Um, definitely have to see on the other side. We talked a little bit about uh, Texas A&M kind of having a very winnable regional. But, guys, the TCU regional, the, the uh, Fort Worth regional, last one we should bear down on. Arizona State is a two. The Zags is a three. Oral Roberts is a four. I'm excited about that regional. That's that's wide open to me. TCU seems like – you just talked to Coach Schlossstegel last night, Teddy. It feels like TCU is the team that's starting to find its identity 56, 60 games in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's he, basically uh, what you wrote about. Like, yeah, they don't even know what they are yet. Yeah, he mentioned that going into the week, um, he told one of his assistants, "Like, I don't know, I don't know what this team's idea is, and you know, we're we're to to the end of the season already." Uh, but that's what happens with young teams. You know, they they're another team that had to replace an awful lot from last year. The core of the teams that went back to back college World Series appearances, yeah. those are gone for the most part, and so they uh, it's a different team. They he has told me multiple times this season that he feels like their best baseball is in front of them. He told me it again last night. Um, and I've believed him pretty much every time. And I pretty well believe him now, although I think that they might be starting to peak. What, what we've seen in the last two weeks since they lost a series of Baylor is they've played a lot better. They um, won the Big 12 tournament now. Luke and Baker destroyed Big Big Oklahoma boy. City. He... He hit four home runs in that tournament, and uh, including the one that won the the championship game for them. So if he's going hot, and, and you know they're they've got a good offense already, and if he's going to really start hitting for power, he'd only had four home runs going into that tournament. Um, and, Unexpected. Well, Schloss mentioned that um, you know Lucan is a really mature hitter, and you know I, I've talked to him about this before about the maturity of Lucan at the plate. And he just, it seems like, didn't understand how much power he has and how to use his power. Because mm. he's only 18, this is what happens. But I guess in, in high school, you know, he connects on pretty much anything and he's strong enough to, to barrel it out. But in college, that's not necessarily the case. You have to learn how to, how to leverage your power. And I guess it seems like in the last few weeks, he's starting to do that better. And if the ball's flying out for him, it's good stuff for TCU. TCU has had Mitchell Traver back now for a few weeks on the mound, and that's big. And uh, you know, getting their young pitching staff moving in the right direction has has really been key. Do you feel like they've started to do that? I mean, uh, do you, this was a team that we thought was an eight for Omaha preseason kind of candidate, and you know, Baker's on the shelf, right, pitching wise. He's not. Yeah, he is not anymore. pitching. Um, but they, uh, you know, if Traver is good, um, you know, they're they not going to. This is a and the odd TCU team in that it's not going to be pitching based. We've talked about that at times this season. Yeah. This is a, a much more offensive team than we're used to from TCU. Um, they're going to have to hit. They can pitch enough. Um, this These teams that are lined up with, they should be able to pitch enough for that. If they do advance and we see them against Texas A&M and Supers, uh, they're going to they're going to face a really, really deep pitching staff in A&M, right. and I don't know that TCU can go, um, can match it, so they're going to have to be able to hit it. Jim, are any chance of a, a Sun Devils or Zags or Golden Eagles upset here? Uh, you see anybody upsetting the, the Horned Frogs in that regional? I mean, I do like Arizona State some, but I think TCU is, I mean, they're just, 
you know, they're tough to beat at home, especially in the postseason. We saw that last year. I think they're, I would expect them to take care of it. But I mean, then again, the Gonzaga, this is their second trip to Fort Worth. Yeah, they Gonzaga went down there, they won, a, they won a Friday night game there back in March or something like that. Um, ORU is a team that's in regionals pretty much every year, so they're not going to be it's a, like a cowed by, by that. So, I mean, that's not a, it's not mm-hmm. an easy regional, yeah. but I do think it's, uh, I mean, I think TCU is a pretty, Solid favorite. What is up with the fact that Gonzaga is back in Fort Worth and East Carolina is back in Charlottesville? I mean, all year when you're doing projections, like I try to avoid that. Yeah, yeah. I point out the you know, w- you know when you do it, and, and I know you try to avoid it too. And I mean, why why is the committee doing it? Especially when is it's it really like laziness? something. Yeah, East Carolina may be understandable. Yeah, because when it's geographic like that, Worth. yeah, when it's geographic, it's it's one thing. But yeah, when it's kind of totally random, Gonzaga going back to Fort Worth, that's. Why not East Carolina, I guess, just as the three, say, at Clemson and Nebraska goes to... Or, I mean, uh, St. Mary's Mary's is in Raleigh. Uh, You know, they, if you're going to, if you're going to ship three seeded West teams, you you shipped uh, St. Mary's to Raleigh, just ship them to Fort Worth and send Gonzaga to to Raleigh. That makes sense, too. Um, I guess the, you know... Yeah, because then you would have. It's the same conference. It just makes sense. Yeah, I, I, that that would work. Uh, I don't I don't understand that one either. Um, I'll tell you, Gonzaga. Uh, every scout I've talked to, every coach I've talked to, loves Brandon Bailey. He's a little guy, but 120 strikeouts, 93 innings. Um, that guy's dangerous. Um, I don't know how whether Gonzaga throws him in the opener against Arizona State or goes with Eli uh, Morgan, who's their number two starter, who's been really good. Uh, Arizona, to be Arizona State guys, I've I've never lost as much confidence in the team over one game as I have. But everyone's just bashed USC to me all year. All I've heard is USC underperform, underperform. Thirty-one to nine in the final game of the season—that's just unfathomable. I thought that Arizona State had. A host possibility if they mm-hmm. won this series. One, yeah. If they swept, Jimmer, you really could have made a case. They would have been tied for the lead, or they would have been tied or all alone in second place in the Pac-12 if they swept the series. Yeah, I think they would have been the favorite to be the um, the West host. The West, you know, the host as a two. If FAU, you know, if that had the whole thing had played out, but yeah, they wouldn't. You go and lose a home series to SC. I mean, I had Arizona. I mean, that here's the line score for SC: five, seven, two, nine, two, two. They said they said twenty seven runs after six innings. Twenty three to two was the score after four complete. That is despicable. That's just disgusting. Thirty hits for USC. I, I can't believe Arizona State made it to regionals. I mean, that's just I know it's just one game, but I can't believe they went to regionals and they're a two seed. Well, that you, is uh, you obviously haven't been looking at Tracy Smith's Twitter the last 24 hours. It's um, good humor. It, there's been good humor on there. It's getting retweeted in my time. I don't, I don't follow Coach Smith, but uh, uh, Mark Gonzalez, friend of the program, Baseball America's uh, longtime Cubs correspondent. He's not anymore. Um, but he uh, retweets Coach ASU Skip, and he's on fire. Uh, on, I love on Tracy. Twitter. Tracy on Twitter is uh, is fantastic. I I wonder how um, Tracy's bosses feel about Tracy's Twitter sometimes. I just have this one start uh, inside inside fastball. Start Martinez game one. Don't focus on winning the regional. Focus on winning one game at a time. Tracy Smith, my advice to you: eat turkey bacon, not regular bacon. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not. Uh, how about this one? Uh, I'm not Winkles or Brock who put those five banners on the outfield wall. Wouldn't just say, oh well, either. 
What do you do? That's right. You're not Winkles or Brock, nor have you attended one of our practices. Therefore, your opinion does not matter. Hashtag combative coach. I mean, he's on fire on the Twitter. Uh, I'm not sure that would be my way to handle it. Tracy is good at the Twitter. I'll tell you what. A lot of Arizona State fans, you're never going to please them because you're not Brock and you're not Winkles. Pat Murphy always said that to me. Tim Esme found that out because he wasn't Pat Murphy. Not to mention Brock or Winkles. I mean, that's a thing that, I mean, LSU deals with it. Uh, you know, Paul Mary yes. is dealing with it that he's not Skip. Um, and, you know, it's just one of these things uh, that you have to deal with. And uh, we talked about Texas at the start of this. Yeah. You know, whoever replaces Augie is going to have to deal with the fact that he is not Augie. How about this? Uh, th- this is too good. You should have mentioned this. This is the end of the show is now reading Tracy Smith's Twitter. <laughs> Never in my life would I have thought I'd see an ASU baseball team give up 31 runs in a game. No excuses. Run their butts. I'm corrected that one. You are not much of a psychologist, are you? Responded Coach Smith. This is really embarrassing. Uh, back to him. To underconfident people it is. I guess that's why I'm not embarrassed and you two are dwelling on it. Wow. I mean, that's that's why you got to think about it. Tracy is absolutely not underconfident in pretty much anything he does. Uh, and that's why we love him. And, uh, I mean, he'll have the, he has had this team playing really well for about two months now. And this weekend was a blip. But I think that's what it was. I think they'll go and they'll uh, be competitive in this regional. I don't know that they have enough talent at this point to win. They're a bit banged up. And, uh, you know, he's just in year two. Uh, you know, so he's still still working on getting that program truly kicking. Um, but I, I, I think they'll go, and I, I think they'll have a, a solid showing, a much better showing than what you saw Sunday against USC. Well, guys, I'm going to make you guys, when we have uh, some actual uh, bandwidth, which apparently because it's a holiday, uh, we don't have bandwidth today like we thought we would. Uh, we'll do a Facebook Live. We'll save the picks uh, for the Facebook Live, but I am going to make you guys go on the record. And make your picks for the tournament. We won't do that now, but uh, a wide-ranging podcast, which I appreciate. I love doing those on uh, on the Memorial Day Monday. It's a tradition unlike any other. We didn't get super angry, Jimmer. We, there were no loud noises coming from my office on this uh, podcast recording, no. as there have been in the past. But uh, really nothing to get too hung up about, Not right? Not really, no. No shoner size on, on the 64 team as it was announced, right? I mean, there was nobody who just made you... No, not, nothing <sighs> to... Uh... Yeah, no, there was nothing egregious. I didn't think so either. So nice job, committee. Uh, thank you, fans, for all your interest. Uh, thank you guys for the hard work you guys did uh, on your conference tournaments at the SOCON and the SEC. Uh, Jim, are you going to ask for SOCON uh, duty again next year? Or <laughs> you look a little peaked. You look a little. You look, you look like you've had enough of the SOCON. I mean, it was fun. Don't. Uh, it's, a, it's a good ball. I pack, like right. Uh, floor field is I nice. Prefer, I prefer a tournament where there's one championship game. But uh, yes, yeah. that, that's an advantage. I, I think, uh, yeah, the double, the true double elimination all the way. I'm not, I'm not on that. Going back to my opinions on conference tournaments, just play the one championship. But the game. SEC t- tournament, uh, Teddy, did it live up to your uh, expectations? Surpass it, perhaps? Hoover was very good. Those those days are long, as promised. Uh, but you know, the the talent on the field makes it worth it. And I mean, there are so many scouts in the stands. I mean, like it, it was. It was very impressive, the talent on the field, and the way that fans showed out. Uh, there were two sessions with uh, 13,000 fans for them. That was the... It's amazing. I mean, that was the first time that it happened in tournament history, I believe. It's kind of like Hoover saying, hey, Nashville or Memphis, come and take it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mentioned that on Twitter, that 
you know, they had 13,000 there for the second time. And somebody asked, could Memphis do that? And physically, they can't. Um, the Memphis ballpark seats 10,000 people. So unless they can put extra seats there, you can't get 13,000 people in Memphis. I'm pretty sure you can't get 13,000 in Nashville either. Uh, that's just one of the, the things the, the committee in the SEC is looking at while they're, they're selecting a host. But that is something that they're going to have to think about is that Hoover showed up this year. They, they really, really did. Their fans did a great job, and it was great atmosphere in, in, in Hoover for the whole week. Indeed. And uh, one last uh, rush and a push for us uh, at the end of the season. BA 500, uh, looking to put that up on Thursday. Not sure all the reports will be up, but the list will be up on Thursday. And uh, obviously college regional previews, brackets, et cetera, at baseballamerica.com. So thanks for the download. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Jimmer, Mike, who had to peace out early, and Teddy. We'll see you on the next BA podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.